Good morning. Continuing in our sermon in John, will you please turn with me to John chapter 6? We're going to start in verse 59 today. Again, that's John 6, starting in verse 59. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would be betraying him. And he said, This is why I told you, so that no one could come to me unless it is granted by him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered him, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. All right. Thanks, Julia. Good morning. You guys ready? I'm ready. Um, if, you're, if you're new to Freshwater today, my name is JT. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad to see some faces I haven't seen in a while. I'm so glad that all of you that are here every week are here. I'm just glad to be here today. Are you? And you know what? I feel really good this morning. I, I usually feel pretty good. I love preaching, right? I love spending time with all of you. But um, because we're setting up for the potluck, do you see the tables in the back? If you didn't know this, there's a potluck right after service. And if you didn't bring food, it's totally okay. Stay and eat, and eat with us. I know we announced it for a few weeks, but we always forget or people miss the announcement here and there. If you didn't bring food, no worries at all. I'm sure the Pentecost brought a bunch, right? <laughs> Mark's eyes went really big, right? But I'm sure, hey, and if not, we'll go out and grab a pizza at Little Caesars, right? Everybody stick around. That's why the tables are set up in the back. But because the tables are set up, um, because we needed help setting up the tables, a lot of people showed up earlier than they normally do. And then we got all the tables set up. And then you know what we did? We hung out and we talked. And I caught up on people's families and they caught up on mine and I met new people and I met people I haven't talked to or talked to talk to people I haven't gotten to talk to in a while. Church, this is why I've been saying when we move to Williams, just plan on being there at 915. Change your family schedule. Just be there at 915. Help set up chairs. Help with the tech team. Help with his kids. I mean, just help getting things set up. Don't work. For, you don't have to, I'm not saying go work for his kids or work for the tech team. You should. But I'm saying that's not what I mean. I mean, just show up early to help out to be there, to all of us working together to make the church happen, to make Sunday morning happen. And so we don't treat church like something that we attend, but a mission that we're on together to reach um, each other, but also to reach our community. Do you get that? Amen? So that's why I'm asked for that. Tomorrow, this morning just felt great. Right, Corey? Corey's like, yes. It just felt good because so many people were here. And we were just together. Do you know like the, the worship team basically had to beg people to come up off the mezzanine to come down here? Like nobody was here. There's certain music like, hey, I, I thought I heard James say, guys, church is starting. Did you do that, James? Yeah, that's awesome. Church is starting. But what an awesome problem to have, right? Everybody was spending so much time together and enjoying each other's company that they weren't ready to come down here. Well, hey, well, you know, I tell you what, if you show up at 915, you're going to have all kinds of time to hang out before and after the service. So I just want to keep encouraging that. Not as a guilt trip, don't hear that. But like, what would our church be if we all really started to get to know each other in a really deep way? So that's one. And then second, uh, oh no, that was it. And then um, again, stay for the potluck afterwards. Uh, we're going to roll, roll into it right after the service. We'll set up a few more tables, throw up a few more chairs, and we will be ready to go. All right. I'm talking too fast. I'm excited. Take a breath. It is well somehow pumped me up. That's a tough song, but it's also a beautiful song, right? Um, just, I'm ready to go. So how many of you in, in here are actually Chiefs fans? Will you raise your hands? Okay, yeah, put it not quite so high, Stephanie, keep it down. Um, you know, in Missouri, you, you can't, oh yeah, <laughs> in, in Missouri, you just can't help it, right? There's Chiefs fans everywhere. Um, are there still people who are Mizzou fans? See, look, Anderson's, Putman's, like, proudly get your hands up. See, that's, Eric is more, he's more honest about it. He's like, 
Yeah, I kind of, um, you know, my, my point is we've got all kinds of fans here. We've got Alabama fans, um, basically front runners. We've got uh, Kansas fans. We've got all kinds of sport teams fans, right? Um, but maybe sports isn't your thing. Um, it, is there anybody that's like maybe a, a movie star or a TV, um, Steve Carell or somebody else that you just, you're just a huge fan of that you just absolutely love? Um, or maybe for you, it's you're really passionate about something, like Brandon with coffee. You're just like really passionate about something or fitness or, or whatever else, like whatever area that you kind of like focus on. There's somebody that, that does a certain thing that you just think is amazing and you're a fan and you follow or whatever else. Um, you're just a fan of them, um, especially this time of year. There may be a, somebody that you're a fan of during Olympics, right? There's somebody that they've made a big deal out of and you love the Olympics and you're just following someone through in their pursuit of gold and you just kind of become a fan of them. Most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us are fans of something or someone. And a fan by definition means someone who is an enthusiastic devotee or a passionate admirer of someone or, or something. But what happens when the person that you're a fan of messes up in a major way or, or does something that, that you don't like or that people don't like? People like let's Lance Armstrong or Michael Vick or we just go on and on, right? We don't, we don't just need to keep going on with celebrities that have messed up at some point. Um, or maybe it was as simple as the culture that we live in now. They did something, they said something culturally or politically we don't like, and we just are kind of done with them. Because that's the kind of, the, I don't know as much about freshwater, but that's the culture we live in now, right? It's just the cancel culture. I just heard of another one yesterday. I guess Adele's done. I don't even want to get into it, but I just heard like yesterday, it's somebody else. There's just a list of people who are just said one thing or did one thing and they're done. It's over. They're, people are completely done with them. Um, we prove in the end so often as a culture, but even as just people, um, that we're not really committed to those people or those teams or whatever that we're a fan of. We're not, we're not really that as passionate as we may have thought we were or, or like them as much as we thought they did because if they do something that we don't approve of, that we don't like, that we don't agree with, so often we're just done with them. And we, we, we actually prove that we're not committed to them. We're just a fan, right? Passionate maybe, but we're just a fan. And here's why that's going to matter today, is as we wrap up chapter 6 um, and John, because we're in our series called John, To Know and Believe, and we, we call it To Know and Believe because John tells us at the end of the gospel that that's, that's what this book is about, that he wrote it so that we might know and believe in Jesus Christ. Like, know, not just know about him, know him. Like, through the Holy Spirit, know him. And as we wrap up chapter 6, we're going to wrap up the section that we've been talking about for, I don't know, four, five, six weeks now about Jesus being the bread of life. And as we wrap up this section, we're going to see this clear distinction between what will prove to be passionate fans and actual disciples. Passionate fans and actual disciples. So if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, um, Jesus in this chapter has said some like really, really important, really fairly radical, particularly for that culture, radical things. He said some things that we could probably even say, especially without context, crazy things. Not that Jesus was crazy, but without context, they sound like crazy things. He has claimed that not only he came from heaven, like they see him as a man, a prophet maybe, but a man, that he came from heaven, came down from heaven, that he is the bread of life, meaning that he is the only way that any of them can have eternal life. And that Now, just that, I came from heaven and I am the only way that you can get to heaven was radical enough. But then he said things like the only way that you can have eternal life is by eating my body and drinking my blood. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. People are like, wait, what? what? And I want you to keep in mind where Jesus was saying this. In verse 59, really our passage starts in verse 60 today, but I wanted you to be reminded in verse 59 that he is standing in the synagogue saying this. And if you don't know what a synagogue is, it's basically church. They did church on Saturdays, but it's basically the gathering to hear Scripture read, to hear Scripture taught, to hear wise people teach. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's standing in the synagogue with religious leaders and Jewish people that know the Bible saying these kinds of things. And without the context of the cross, for Jesus to say, you have to eat my, body, or eat my flesh and drink my blood, listen, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? So at least a little bit, let's, let's give a little compassion to the Jewish people, to the religious people at the time. Sometimes we just write them off. But can you imagine if you were at church and someone set up, stood up here and said something like that with absolutely, really no real context for how that was going to play out? It would sound crazy. It would sound crazy. And what we're going to see is this, this 
really strong language from Christ is going to force a question on a lot of people. Am I, am I a fan of this guy or am I truly a disciple of this guy? Because keep in mind, at that time, to say I was a disciple of this teacher was a big deal. Was a big, people took pride in the teachers that they follow. So people are going to be forced to ask this question. Am I a fan of this guy or am I a disciple of this guy? Um, listen, church, we say this all the time, but Jesus hasn't called us to easy things, has he? He hasn't even called us to believe easy things. But what he does say, if you do believe in me, I will give you life. Life right now in me and life for an eternity. So today, we're going to look for the last time, really, or last time in a while, of what it really means for Jesus to be the bread of life. And then we're going to ask ourselves the question by the end, am I, am I truly a fan of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus? So I want to start in verse 59 again, again for context. But our passage really kind of starts in verse 60. So look with me in verse 59 of chapter 6 one more time. Chapter 6, verse 59, says this. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum, which was around the Sea of Galilee. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So let me remind you a little context. In the, in the kind of the beginning, towards the beginning of this, this bread of life passage, in verse 4, it said that this happened at the Passover. Right? So this is taking place at the Passover. The Passover being when God passed over the sins of the Jews in Egypt and he wiped out the firstborns and of the Egyptians, right? To bring his wrath for their disobedience, right? When God passed over his people. Um, this is what they're celebrating right now. And in a year from now, at the next Passover, what's going to happen? Anybody know in a year from now? What happens at, what, what's a really big event that happens at Passover? Easter, that's what we call it now, right? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ and then the resurrection. So a year from now, at the next Passover, Jesus is going to be crucified. So this is the Passover before. And as we said before, Jesus is teaching in this, and not just in the synagogue, but during Passover, which might be the biggest time of the year for the Jewish people. That's how, like, step back for a second. That's how big of a deal that Jesus has become now. On Passover, the religious leaders are letting him stand up in the synagogue and teach. And as he stands up in the synagogue to teach, he starts saying these things that we've been, read, we've been reading about, things I've talked about. Now, also keep in mind, at this time, a lot of the passages surrounding the Exodus would have been read. Right? It's the Passover. So they're going to talk about God freeing his people from slavery in Egypt. They're going to talk about, they're going to read passages. They're going to probably read the whole story about God feeding his people in the wilderness, the manna from heaven, because they didn't have enough to eat, right? The bread from heaven. They're going to read passages like that. So they're going to have that context, but they probably also would have read passages like Isaiah 54 that talks about God's deliverance of his people from oppression. Isaiah 54, which follows Isaiah 53, which if you've never read Isaiah 53, circle it, mark it down right now. You need to go read it. It is one of the most profound prophecies of Jesus Christ in how specific it is and how beautiful it is of what the suffering servant, what the Messiah is going to do for his people. In Isaiah 53, it says that he is going to take on the sins of his people. He's going to be crushed for the sins of his people so they might be set free from their true oppressor, sin sin and death. So you can imagine if you were in the synagogue on that Saturday during Passover and passages like these were read, and most likely they were read, what Jesus was saying to them about him being the bread of life and that, that by eating him as the bread of life, as their ancestors ate the bread of life, the manna in the wilderness in the time um, of the Egyptian wilderness, all of this becomes much more relevant, much more contextual for the Jews listening to this. Does that make sense to you? So it sounds like if, we, if, if you just introduce somebody to Jesus Christ, they didn't have any context, and they just read John 6, it would be like, whoa, what is happening here, right? But that's not where these Jews are, are starting from. Does that make sense? They know the Bible. They're reading passages from the Bible. So Jesus is teaching that you, I'm the bread of life, and that you have to eat me, and I'm the only way to heaven, and I'm the only one that can set you free from the oppression of sin in this life. That's coming in the context of the Passover. Make sense? 
So they're seeing this and hearing this in a different way than, than most people would. That's why they don't literally think that Jesus is saying, hey, come up and, and, and take a nibble, right? You bite off a chunk of my to be saved. They don't think he's saying that. They're saying that they, they see that Jesus is putting it in, when he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, because I'm the bread of life. I can't come from heaven and I will return to heaven. He's saying it in the context of that he is the greater Moses, that he is the greater bread, that he is the prophet that Moses talked about, said that would come. He's claiming to be all of these things when he's saying these things. It is a big, big deal. So when he says those things about eating my flesh and drinking my blood and I'm the bread of life, in the passage we saw, it said when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? The Greek word here for hard means harsh or offensive. I mean, Jesus is saying these things, and they don't think he's promoting cannibalism. They think he is being unbelievably, harshly offensive to them. Harsh, harshly offensive. He couldn't say anything that sounds more the opposite, more blasphemous if he tried, is basically what they're getting, what they're getting at. Jesus had said incredibly offensive things, and he begins to lose his disciples. Now, I put disciples in air quotes. I hate using air quotes, but we have to here. Because when we say disciples in this passage, we're really going to see there's two different kinds of disciples here. So we see Jesus say, talk about his disciples in verse 61. Um, really, the first kind of disciple here is the one in verse 61. And we're going to call these people fans. And you can see why I started off talking about fans. They were fans. And I want you to hear, they, they were fans of Jesus. These people that have been following Jesus around, most of them have like left behind their jobs. I'm not saying they left behind their jobs forever, but they've been following Jesus around. They're, they're out in the Galatian wilderness following him around out in, out in the middle of nowhere listening to Jesus teach. They, they follow him. They've seen him do miracles. They're super impressed by him. Listen, they're letting him speak in their synagogue because they think he's so wise. They're such big fans. These people have made sacrifices. These people are proving that they're passionate about the things that Jesus is teaching and doing. Like, they're in, in their own way. These people are enthusiastic. They deeply admire Jesus. They're, they're pretty committed and caught up in what he's doing. They're caught up. Some would say that many of them probably, and I think Brandon and I both have mentioned this before, some of them probably thought he was the king, like the king from the line of David that the Old Testament talks about. They probably thought that he was the prophet that Moses was talking about. They, they, they probably thought that he was truly the son of man, the, the prophecy, prophecy of the Messiah in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, that he was the fulfillment of these things, at least potentially. They were serious. But even though that's true, even though they seemed to believe that he was at least sent by God, they proved pretty, pretty quickly that they aren't truly his disciples, don't they? Yeah, they, yeah, they're devoted in their own way. They're proving that they're devoted, at least in some way, but they're also proving they're not truly disciples of Christ. They are fans. And fans, like we talked about before, often show themselves who they really are when things get hard or when they don't fully understand, or they don't immediately agree with, or initially take offense to what someone says. Fans do what fans do. They turn on, they abandon the person that they admired just moments before. It happens all the time. We become fans of people, and we treat them as this object, don't we? So when they fail, instead of seeing them as a person, hey, listen, potentially that we could even pray for. Like, think about that, the influence that celebrities have. Like, we could pray for them and treat them as a person, but we treat them as an object, so it's okay to just be done with them. In so many ways, this is how they're treating Jesus, isn't it? Man, they were big fans of him until he said these hard, thing, hard things. So Jesus, in this moment, knows he's losing his fans. And so, at that point, he starts to back off of the hard thing so people will understand him more, right? Is that what, is that what happened? D at that point, he tried to appease the crowd so that they, they could stay with him a little bit longer, so he could, he could try to explain it more clearly to them down the road, even though they were proving they weren't really his disciples. Is that what Jesus did? 
No, it's not what he did. You know, if Jesus was a celebrity in our culture, do you know what he would have done at this point? Think about it. What do celebrities do when they've messed up and people start to like fade away and not like them anymore? They call a press conference. Is that not right? They call a press conference and make a big deal out of, out of it. And then they give us an apology that like, I'm going to say what, half the time they don't really believe. They said what they said because they believe it, but they, they did what they did because they wanted to, right? But they, they give an apology because someone told them to give an apology. Like, listen, you're going to lose your fans. It's going to hurt the team. It's going to hurt your brand. It's going to hurt this thing. Listen, let's just apologize. Let the death settle. Keep your fans. Keep your reputation a little bit higher, and then we'll win them back later. But is that what Jesus does? No. Obviously, it's not what he does. He doubles down on the truth. He doubles down on it. Yes, what he has said is offensive. But listen, Jesus is not saying these things to be offensive. But to clearly reveal to the people listening to him that the different, what is the difference between a fan and a disciple. That what it means to actually follow him. What it actually means to have faith in him and follow him. And sometimes it's going to mean hard things. He's separating um, the what from the chaff, the wheat from the chaff. Did I get that right? He's separating the wheat from the chaff right here. I think Brandon said that last week. And then he, when I said he doubled down, what I meant is he said, hey, listen, if the, the stuff about me being the bread of life offended you and talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, he says, well, listen, I, I tell you that the son of man, again, a messianic title that Jesus has claimed for himself, which is a big deal just by itself that he's doing this in a synagogue on the Passover but he goes on to say, um, I have ascended from heaven and I will ascend back to heaven. Will you, he's basically saying, will you believe it when you see the Son of Man ascending back to heaven? Listen, this is, this is Jesus absolutely claiming Godhood. He's telling them, I came from heaven, which is enough. Like that's enough for him to say, I'm not a mortal man. I'm eternal. But, let, but in Jewish, all of Jewish history and all of the Bible, only a couple people have ascended into heaven without dying. And so Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not only one of those, but like the exception to every rule, but I came down from heaven and will ascend back to heaven. Again, he is saying, I am immortal. I am God. God and the Father, we are one. His will is my will. Church, in the synagogue, on the Passover, with Jesus standing in front of them, not only claiming to be the fulfillment of everything they looked up to in Exodus and in Moses and in the bread, but also saying that he is the son of man, the true bread that's come down to heaven and the only way to have eternal life because I have come to heaven to accomplish this because the father has given me this and him and my will are one. Yeah, that would have been hard to swallow. That would have been hard to wrap your mind around. So hard, in fact, that Jesus is going to go on to say that only by God's own, own intervention can you actually understand this. Look at verse 63. Chapter 6. Look at verse 63. It is the Spirit, capital S Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who, would do, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So just to keep this simple, Jesus is basically saying to them, listen, this isn't about your desires, meaning your flesh. This isn't about your desires or you're following the law. This isn't about what you want. This isn't even about the, all the miracles that I've been doing just to prove something to you. This is about the capital S Spirit, Holy Spirit, who gives life. More and more, we're going to see Jesus talk about the Holy Spirit. John is probably the book that, that talks about the Holy Spirit more than any other book in, in the Bible. As we go through the rest of this book, more and more talk Holy Spirit is going to come up. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit more than anyone else, and he's talked about it so far, but really they're not going to understand the full implications of this because the Holy Spirit doesn't fall on believers until Jesus ascends into heaven at Pentecost in Acts 2, right? So even though the Holy Spirit hasn't fallen on all the believers yet, like 
Jesus has come and the Holy Spirit is with him, is in him. He is the personification of God's Spirit on the earth because the Holy Spirit is with him. And so Jesus is beginning to lay out how the Father, how the Son, and the Holy Spirit all work together in perfect harmony, in perfect unity as our Trinity God to bring salvation to his people. To bring salvation to his people. This, this new life that Jesus has been talking about, this salvation that he is proclaiming to them is, is, is him saying to them that, listen, this salvation, this life doesn't come by your desire. It doesn't come because you've studied the law, you've studied the word of God, and you just know it perfectly, and you think you've got all of it figured out. These Jews don't understand, and they are offended by what Jesus is saying because God has not softened their hearts yet to comprehend it. And at the same time, they do not have open hearts to hear it. So it lands on hard hearts. It lands on deaf ears. It's why Jesus reminds them, you cannot come to the Father unless it's granted by him. You know what this is? This, this is Jesus once again proclaiming to us, showing us what God is truly like. That's one of the reasons Jesus came, right? To be the perfect reflection, the perfect image of the Father so that we could know God, so that we could see God. That's what he does, and that's what he's doing here. As I said a couple weeks ago, we so often want to make God in our own image. We'll even read passages like, well, I don't like that passage. Well, I get that. Like some passages are hard. They're tough. We don't understand. We have to spend time with them. We got to seek to understand them, but, but God is not us. God, we, we so often treat God like he should react the way that we do, that he should do things the way that we would. But hear me, he's not us. As scripture says, his ways are so far above our ways. And he's telling us here that God sent him. He's saying the Father sent me. And the only way that we can be saved by the Father is him drawing us to Christ. And when he does, and when he does, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit awakens our dead souls to the truth of who our God is and who we are in him. And listen, who we are without him. Without God beginning to open our, our dead hearts from, from death to life, we can't even understand the danger that we're in. We can't even understand what, what sin actually does in our life. We can't understand the wrath of God. We can't understand the judgment of God. God is, opens up through the Holy Spirit, opens up the truth of all of these things so that we might go from death to life. This is Jesus be, beginning to help us understand the perfect harmony that happens within the Trinity and how God works out all salvation within his Trinitarian self. His perfect will, their perfect unity, working together to take us from dead, lost souls to new creations in him. And it's beautiful. I love how Jesus begins to lay this out. Just more and more. It gets more and more clear as we go. And so then most of the Jews hear this truth. This truth, again, we've talked about this, that they've been waiting for for hundreds of years. That salvation has come and they simply can't accept it. Let's look at that in verse 66. And we'll wrap up our passage for today in verse 66. We'll read through the end. After this, after all this happened, after this, many of his disciples, air quotes, turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelfth? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Church, Jesus is loving. And he is kind. Like, again, not just these things. He is these things. Jesus is understand, understanding. He has wisdom. He's understanding to us and he's patient with us. But despite that, one thing that Jesus never does and will never do is compromise the truth. He sees what's happening. He sees that he's losing them, but does he change his message at all to appease the crowds? The answer is no. 
and hear me. I hear about it all the time. I, you know, being a pastor and I've been doing this for 10 years or whatever, I don't hear, I don't get to see this a lot, but we have people that come here all the time and basically tell us this is exactly what other churches are doing. I don't mean all churches. There's some great churches in our city. I'm not knocking churches, right? But there are so many churches out there that are so willing to compromise the truth. They, they simply want people to come in and feel good. And, they, and that, because that draws a crowd. Scripture says this is what's going to happen, that, that leaders will come, teachers will come and tell people what they want to hear to prop themselves up. And by the way, there's probably some pastors and churches out there that the pastors aren't doing it to prop themselves up. They're trying to do the right thing, but they, they're compromising the truth because they want people to feel good. And that, hey, trying to make people feel good is a, a worthy thing to do, to try to be kind and gentle and full of peace and try to build people up. Yes and amen to that. We should do that, yes. But at the same time, they almost never talk about things like sin and wrath and repentance and sanctification and what happens if we don't have Jesus Christ in our lives. Do we want to be a church that tries to draw a crowd and make, makes you leave every time just feeling awesome about who you are? Or do we want to preach the truth of the gospel so we leave here thinking about how good God is? This is why we exist, church, to glorify God and advance the gospel. When, we make it, when you make it about you, when we make this church about you, when you fail, it is devastating. Because then what do you have? I'm terrible, I'm worthless, I can't do this, I'm not enough. But the truth of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is you weren't supposed to be enough. Jesus Christ wants to be enough for you. He's revealing this not to condemn you primarily through that condemnation. He wants to see, I am enough for you. I am rest, I am peace, I am good. That's why we sing about God being holy. Praise God that we have a God who is holy. Go read about Greek gods or Roman gods or Indian gods or any other gods. They are terrible. But we get to worship a holy God. That's why we cry out holy. Because our God shows us condemnation to lead us to him so we can be drawn into that goodness, that holiness, that love, so that we might glorify him and realize how good he is and who we are meant to be in him. And the weight is then lifted. We don't have to be good enough because Christ was good enough and we can just pursue him and that is how we are set free. That is how we find real joy. No, I'm not going to just preach sermons, and neither is Brandon or anybody else, to just primarily make you feel good. We're going to make you, man, want to worship Christ. And they didn't want that. Jesus says some hard things. The Word of God says some hard things. But when they heard those hard things, they left. But Jesus sticks with the truth. And most of those people, some of whom were ready to make him king, left. And they proved to be fans. Church, can I ask you something? I want you to actually think about this. Like everybody, can you listen just for me for a second? I want to ask you a real question. I want you to think about this. Do you think you'd be willing to do the same? Do you think you'd be willing to lose friends Lose connection to some family members, people who I would call fans, people who are fans of you, maybe even enthusiastic about you, but might leave you if you are unwilling to compromise on what you know to be absolutely true. And hear me, I don't mean that you know what's absolutely true and you stand on the truth into some arrogant posture. But I've had this conversation with a few people. Do you, do you know what would happen if I'm in a conversation with someone and they tried to convince me that Jesus wasn't the Son of God? Do you think, you think I would bend on that? If I didn't bend on that, is that arrogance? No, it's just absolute conviction that what I believe it's absolutely true. There's no bending on that for me. I can be patient and kind and gentle and understanding and compassionate and, and, and extremely humble and all of those things, but you're not going to bend me on that truth. So as our country church changes more and more, as our culture changes more and more, as we have more and more friends and neighbors decide, I'm not going to follow the Bible. I'm going to follow what culture says is right because it's going to happen. It is happening. It is moving. 
What's going to happen when it comes to your front door, when it comes to your relationships? Do you think you'd be willing to lose your fans? People that even love you or say they love you, are you willing to lose those people as Christ did? So that comes to the question that we started with at the beginning, the one that you probably knew was coming. Are you a fan of Christ or are you a disciple of Christ? Because some of Jesus' most ardent followers in this moment abandoned him. And he takes it even further in this moment with his own disciples. As an example to us, he says, not only do those people abandon him, but there's someone who has been following me around for years now. Someone who's heard his teaching every day, has seen all of his miracles, at least almost all of his miracles who's heard Jesus teach and pray and his wisdom and talk and seen him do and say things that no one else has ever done. In the end, he's going to leave him. Judas is going to abandon him. Judas is going to prove that at least maybe for a time he was a fan of Jesus, but he wasn't a disciple. If he can prove to not be a disciple. If all of these people that have been following Jesus around can prove to not actually be a disciple, is there any chance that other people right now in our church, in our culture, in around here that claim Christ are not really disciples of Christ, but really just fans of Christ? And maybe even big fans, but just fans. I, mean, I, I, so, I so very rarely do what I'm about to do say things like I'm about to say, because I know so many of you already struggle with self-doubt, with insecurity, with knowing who you really are, with knowing what you really believe. I know that that's true already, but sometimes, sometimes we have to stop and, and literally look deeper at our faith, really look into our faith to see what it really is. And sometimes that can cause doubt. And that could, sometimes that can cause doubt where there shouldn't be any doubt. And the last thing I want to do, hear me, when we talk about these things, when we dive into this, the last thing I want to do today is cause doubt when there shouldn't be any doubt. If there's no evidence, if there's no reason to do so, I don't want you to doubt today. But the truth is, Scripture does tell us to work out our faith with what? Anybody? Fear and trembling. And that fear is more like the fear of God, the awe of God submitted to him. All of our work out our faith submitted to God with trembling and the seriousness of who he is. But it's also a fearful thing. Anybody ever read the story in Matthew 7? In Matthew 7, there are people who have done works for Christ, who have done good things for Christ, who have in some ways at least shown in their life they're disciples of Christ. But they get to the end. They get to judgment day. And they said, but, but Jesus, look at all these things we did for you. And what does Jesus say to them? Depart from me, for I never knew you. Sometimes we say the fear of God is not really about fear, and it's, not, it's more about awe and respect. But also, isn't that kind of a terrifying thing? That these people that did all of these good works for Christ, in the end, he says, depart. I, I, I never knew you. They were fans of Christ. They were fans of his way of life. They had a tremendous, I'm guessing, a tremendous amount of respect for Christ and who he is and what he calls us to, and they wanted to love the poor and do these things, but they never truly gave their hearts to follow him as Lord, to follow him as king, to follow him more as an example we are to follow and to follow him as a disciple. And Christ knew it. Just like he knew it of all of these people who have been following him around, who have left friends and family to follow him, to hear him, but are now gone. When it got hard, when they didn't understand their, their faith in Christ, when it didn't go as they thought it should, they left him. It, and I think we all have had people in our own lives that left the faith when we just knew their faith was legit. Have you ever had someone in your, your life like that? Like, I just, I just knew they were a follower of Christ. But, but then they left. I mean, it's a scary thing. That's a hard thing. 
So today, even though I don't do this very often, I want you to ask yourself today, man, am I a fan of Christ? Or am I a disciple of Christ? Church, it's worth, worth me asking this because Scripture seems to ask us this because our eternal souls are on the line. Your eternal soul is on the line. And no one likes to talk about hell, right? But hell is on the line. And as Brandon said last week, he actually used it correctly. I don't want to scare the hell out of you. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's not how we want to lead people to Jesus, that they're so scared of hell that they just like check the box. Well, now I'm going to say I'm a disciple of Christ, so I don't have to go to hell because I want heaven. But that's not, what, that's not what Scripture communicates. It communicates the fear of hell, the truth of hell. But it calls you to something more, not, not, not so you don't go to hell. It calls you to Jesus. It calls you to repent and to lay down those things because eternal life is on the line. Now, hear me, I don't want you to doubt your faith in any way if there's no reason to. Because I'll just say this humbly, because this is Christ in me. This is not me. This is Christ in me. I know, listen, I know I'm a disciple of Christ. I, I don't doubt it. And even if I have moments of doubt, they're fleeting and I come back to Christ. And although it's good for me to do a heart check once in a while and to work out my faith with fear and trembling, because on the backside, it makes my faith stronger. It roots me even deeper in the truths of the gospel. I still need to weigh it out once in a while. Just ask the questions once in a while because the, the, the true believers will persevere to the end. That's what the scripture communicates. Perseverance to the end is one of the indicators that you truly were saved. So we have to take this thing seriously. But in the end, I, I know, I know that it is by Christ's work and not mine. I know that it is by Christ's faith working in me and through me and by his strength that my faith sustains and not by mine. I know that it was Jesus Christ on the work to wash away my sins, to make me new, and that I'm raised to a new life in him. I know all of that is truth. And I don't really doubt it. So if you're with me on that today, I don't want you to doubt it. I don't want you to somehow try to convince yourself that you're a fan when you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. But, right? But, if you are unsure, if you know that your life has not always been a reflection of Christ and what he has called you to, if you are plagued with doubts, do not let that sit. I mean, please don't let that sin. Listen, your Savior doesn't want you to waver in the unknown. He doesn't want you to waver back and forth. He wants us to boldly and confidently follow him. As passages like Romans 8 says, if God is for us, if you're in Christ, if God is for us, who can stand against us? Nothing, nothing, nothing can stand against us or separate us from the love of God. This is what God wants for you, to walk in confidence. As scripture says, to boldly come before his throne. Boldly, with confidence, because you are a child of God. So maybe today your thinking and praying through this will just be a way that God uses to solidify in your heart who you truly are in him and praise God for that. That's what I want. That's what I want. I want you to be able to stand up front. Yes, I am a disciple of Christ and move boldly forward in that. But maybe, maybe, today this will cause you to realize that that. Man, maybe I'm more of a fan of Jesus Christ than a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I want you to hear two things. One, that's a really scary place to be. You can lie to yourself. You can lie to others, but in the end, it will be like those in Matthew 7 on Judgment Day when you hear Christ say to me, depart from me, wicked, I didn't know you. That's meant to be a little bit scary. I don't want you to hear on that last day, Jesus say to you, I know you did these things for me, and I know you attended church, and I know you read your Bible once in a while, and, and then you gave some stuff to the poor, but I, I never knew you. The second thing I want you to hear, and the most important thing I want you to hear today, is that, hear me, God loves you. Look what he did. Look what he was willing to do. Look what Jesus Christ did on that cross. Look what the Father allowed his son to go through so that you could know, so that you could, you could tangibly see the love that God has for you. He knows you. 
If you're a fan in here today and you don't know him, he's not looking down on you shaking his head. He knows that there's condemnation. He knows what's waiting for you. He knows you and he wants to save you and welcome you into his family today. He wants you. So even if you're realizing today, man, maybe I've been a fan of Jesus this whole time. Today can be the day when that actually changes. Because God didn't make it complicated, did he? Now, it's not easy. It's not always easy, but it's not complicated. Truly, listen, give your life to him today. Truly, tru- I mean, truly submit everything in your life to him today as your Lord, as your King, and he will save you. That's what he came to do, to save you, if you would submit and give your life to him. And you know what that means? That means stop always wanting to do it your way. Truly say, Jesus, I will do it your way. I want to follow you. I want you to be my king. And so even when I don't understand, even when it's hard, even when I want to go this way, if you say to go this way, I'll go that way. Because I believe, because I submit, because I know you died on the cross to pay for my sins and I deserve hell, but you have set me free. This is truly following Christ. Scripture says that I'm going to spit out those who are lukewarm. These are fans of Christ. Scripture is serious about these things. Listen, you can be a true disciple of Christ. Today, you can be welcomed in the family of God. So here's the thing. If if you're realizing, maybe I'm a fan. Maybe I'm unsure. I may have doubts. I'm going to be over here after the service. My wife will be over there after the service. A couple other people. You can come over there and pray about anything. But if this is you today, listen, do not let this lie. If anything has shown us in the last two years of this world, anything that we thought we held on tightly to can be taken away from us like that. Your life could be over tomorrow. Do not let this lie. Come talk to us about what it would mean to follow Christ as a disciple today. Today. Do it today. And then for the rest of us. The rest of us that know, like, I'm a disciple of Christ. And yes, I'm not. Listen. Disciple of Christ, you're not perfect. You don't always have it together. You don't always follow Christ the ways that you should. You have to repent. You have to ask for forgiveness for your sin. You have to pursue Christ. You're being sanctified. Yes and amen to all of that. Just because you fail at times doesn't mean you're not a disciple. So for us imperfect disciples in the room who who are confident that we're imperfect disciples, we all have family. And we all have friends out there that are fans. And I think you know it. I think I know it. I was convicted this week over this. I have people in my life that I'm, I'm convinced they are fans of Christ. And listen, I'm not trying to judge them. In the end, it's between them and God if they're saved or not, right? But like, as far as my conviction goes, I think they're just fans. I, I don't think they're actually disciples of Christ. And we all have those people in our lives. So I want you, I, I, want you, I, I need you to do two things today. I want you to think through this. I want you to think through this today for their sake. One, I want you to do this. I want you to live a life that honors Christ. You say you're a disciple. You say you want to submit to him as your ruler and king. I want you to live a life that honors Christ. Pray, talk to God, and ask him to give you the discipline, the self-control, the desire, and, and to give you the joy that comes with faithfully following him as his disciple, as he teaches you more and more and more to be like his son. Because I don't know if you remember, listen, two, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, it's a, Scripture says that the world will know that we are Christ's disciples by the way we do what? Love each other. I know that your coworkers are difficult. I know your family and your friends can be difficult. But how the world is going to know that we truly are his disciple is, is the way we love Christ and we love each other. That's how they're going to know who we are and that's how they're going to see who Christ is. Honor Christ with the way that you live with your family, at your workplaces, with your friends. So then when I ask you to do the second part of this, it will ring true to them. And by the way, that will be so good for you. It will draw you closer to Christ and he will sanctify you. So the first thing I want you to do is honor Christ with your life. The second, I want you to be be willing to boldly share Jesus Christ with those around you. That's a surprise that I'm asking you to do that, right? But honestly, boldly share Jesus Christ with the world around you. They need you. 
Church, Jesus is the bread of life. That's what this whole chapter has been about. He is the only way. He is the bread of life. He gives life. People around you are dead. And even if they grew up in Springfield, Missouri, and they went to church when they were young, and they claim a church, and they said, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. But you know their life reflects in no way at all that they are a disciple of Christ, just a fan. Listen, boldly open your mouth and share truth. And I don't mean in condemnation or judgment, like love them well, but share the truth with them because they need the bread of life. They are the people in Matthew 7, and I think you know it. And I know it. And I've just got to take that seriously. Don't we need to take that seriously? Eternity is on the line. Depart from me, wicked, I didn't know you, is on the line. And we have the words of truth because of Christ in us, because of the Holy Spirit in us. We have eternity, church. If you are a disciple of Christ, you already have eternity. Be willing to open your mouth and share that truth with other people, even when it's hard, even when you don't know exactly what to say, even when you're not a professional Bible teacher like me. God will use it. And maybe one step at a time, one seed at a time, one loving conversation at a time, God will open their hearts to who he truly is. And they might believe in faith. And we can celebrate with them as a family we're going to get to spend an eternity with. Church, go be disciples who by his power go and make disciples. So we'll finish with that question today. Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a disciple of Jesus? I hope by the end of this, we can all answer that question boldly and confidently and run to the throne of grace. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you for these words of truth. Jesus, thank you for coming down out of heaven to pour your life out for people who would abandon you the moment things got hard. Jesus, you came and only did the holy and right thing, yet you were despised and you were abandoned and you were betrayed. Yet you still came. Jesus, help that to weigh heavily on our hearts today. That you came knowing our sin and our failure, yet you still wanted us in your family, so you died on that cross to be the bread of life. That by having you, we might be forgiven and set free. God, oh God, help us never to grow tired of that truth. That unbelievable truth. Lord, today, if there's people that don't know you, I pray that you would call them home. And for the rest of us in this room that know that we are your disciples, God, help us, help us, help us to live as your disciples so the world might see you in us. And then help, help us to just boldly open our mouths with kindness, patience, gentleness, and truth to share about who you are and what is on the line for eternity. God, every person in this room has proven not to be up to this task. But Jesus, we praise you that you've made it not about us, but about you who already accomplished the task. So help us to go out there confidently knowing that it is your work that saves. God, I thank you for this church family that takes the truth of your word so seriously. Help us to take it more and more seriously every day as we follow you as disciples of Christ. Jesus, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen.